We're going to be in 1 Samuel 30 this morning. For those of you that are just joining us, in verses 1 through 8, it says, Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag attacked, uh, invaded the south and Ziklag, comma, attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and who and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. The David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abathar the priest, Amalek's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you have surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. Have you ever felt empty before? Have you ever been in a place where you felt like you had been deserted and everybody left you and your life was not going well and you had no idea what to do? This message is for you this morning. In this story, what we see is David, and and, and I apologize for those of you that are, are new here and don't know the story. You can catch up quick. Just go back to the web. You can see all the sermons. David is soon to be king of Israel, and so uh, now what we're seeing is David is coming back from this place where he's been that wasn't good, and he goes to Ziklag where him and his people have been hanging out, and so they show up to this city, and the Amalekites, who were the enemies of Israel, have gone into this city, lit it on fire, and took their wives, took their sons, and went to another place. So then David and his guys show up, and they realize what they've lost and so they begin to weep. And, and they begin to weep because of everything that they've lost. And then there's this thing that happens where the guys kind of realize and say like, <clears throat> I think it's David's fault. Why don't we stone him? Lost everything. People turning on him. David has nowhere to turn. And so he strengthens himself in the Lord his God. He strengthens himself in the Lord his God. And then it says that he went to Abathar the priest and, and inquired of God of the ephod of what should he do. Should he go and fight these guys that have overtaken him? And God says, yes, go and fight them. And that will be next week when he goes into the enemy's camp. We're going to talk this morning about strengthening yourself in the Lord. That's the whole entire sermon. The whole entire sermon is strengthening yourself in the Lord, but we've we've got to go around the mountain to get to that point. And so before we get there, there's a few steps that we've got to look at. We're going to to talk about that because I think that's the question that many of us ask in our lives. we'll, We'll be in that place where we're broke, busted, and disgusted and say, how do I get out of this place? You're left alone and you ask, I want to strengthen myself in the Lord, but how do I do that? We will get to that answer. The first thing I want to talk about though is this, is that... Uh, in this life and in this story, what we see is that you will reap what you sow. 
You will reap what you sow. And if you don't understand what those words mean, reaping is when you gather a harvest. Sowing is when you plant seed. And so whatever you plant will come out of the ground. You will reap what you sow. It says in verse 6, Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. But what we've got to do in context, and this is why it's so important to read the Bible in context, not one verse left to itself. Self. You've got to read it in context. Is that David hasn't been a very good guy over the past few chapters. He hadn't been doing the right thing. In uh, back at, Way back in chapter 27, uh, verses 8 through 12, it says, And David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites, the Gerzites, the Amalekites. So David has been raiding the Amalekites, and now the Amalekites are coming back to raid him. For those nations were the inhabitants of the land of old as you go to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. Whenever David attacked the land, he left neither man nor woman alive, but took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, the apparel, and returned and came to Achish. Achish is uh, a king of the Philistines. The Philistines are the enemies of Israel. So David goes, attacks the Amalekites, uh, kills all their people, takes all their stuff, and then goes and gives it to a king of the Philistines who are Israel's sworn enemy. And then Akish would say, where have you made a raid today? And then David would say, lying uh, against the southern area of Judah or against the southern area or against the southern area of the Kenites. David was, uh, you know, I just skip over the words I can't say. David would save neither man nor woman alive. If you can say a man, tell me how. Uh, to bring news to Gath, saying, lest they should inform on us, saying, thus David did. And thus was his behavior all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. So Kish believed David, saying, he's made his people Israel utterly abhor him. Therefore, he will be my servant forever. David is coming back from a time where he was raiding the Amalekites, and now the Amalekites are returning the favor. They're, they're actually being nicer though. David went in and killed everybody and took everything. These guys just take everything. They haven't killed them yet. He just took their wives and their kids. The Amalekites came back with a vengeance. They come back hard. And, and here's what I think is happening in this story is that, when, when, and there's layers to it, but the people are going to stone him. I think that part of the reason that they wanted to stone David is that his men realized, David, you've kind of done this to us. Because now these people that we fought are coming back to fight us. I think that we're reaping what we have sown. Remember, David went with the enemy. He took up his residence with the enemy. He helped the enemies of Israel. He is reaping what he has sown. See, the Bible is very clear about this uh, in many places, which I will show you. In Job chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Even as I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble will reap the same. Those who plow iniquity will reap the same. Those who plow trouble will reap the same. You can't expect that David takes it upon himself to align with the enemy, go and attack, and they're just going to sit there and do nothing. Yeah. Why, why would they do that? Like, nobody does that in warfare. If someone attacks somebody, somebody's going to attack back. That's, that's how war works. Yeah. I have many scriptures I'm going to share with you this morning because I want you to understand this as a principle of God. It says, Proverbs 22.8, He who sows iniquity will reap sorrow, yeah. and the rod of his anger will fall. Yeah. <laughs> But this is like many people. 
People that you may know, not you, they go with the enemy, they support the enemy, they do evil, and expect that nothing is going to happen. It's just not the case, man. It's not, that's not the, 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 the way that the world works. If you go and you plant destruction, you will reap destruction. Your sins will find you out. They will come back, sometimes with a vengeance. Verse 2 and 3, And had taken captive the women, whose, those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went away. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Again, this is the Amalekites returning the favor, David reaping what he has sown. There's a scripture in Hosea chapter 10 verse 13 and and it's speaking to Israel but I think the principle still applies. It says you have plowed wickedness, you have reaped iniquity. You have eaten the fruit of lies because you have trusted in your own way in the multitude of your mighty men. Church, it's a principle of God that you will reap what you sow. If you sow destruction, you reap destruction. You sow anger, you get anger. You sow hatred, you get hatred. That's just how it works. What does it mean to you? Watch what you sow. Pay very close attention to what you are sowing in your life. What you think, what you say, what you do, how you act is, is not just some arbitrary thing of saying like, oh, well, it, it doesn't matter. Like, I, I'm a Christian now and I'm saved, I'm sanctified, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. I can be completely destructive in all of my relationships, but I'm still going to have good relationships. I'm going to be completely out there with my finances, but somehow it's going to be going well. I'm going to completely negate my health and fitness and I'm going to magically walk in divine health. It just doesn't work that way man you know this in your heart you see it play out in your lives and then the pastor comes and says it from the scriptures and like "Ah, I'm not sure I believe in that New Testament Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 and 8 do not be deceived God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. If you are constantly sowing to the flesh, negative anger, uh, 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 destruction, every matter of sin, you're you're going to be destroyed. The Bible's very clear in that. You cannot live a life of sin and expect to inherit eternal life. It just doesn't work that way. Those who sow in the Spirit reap things of the Spirit. You will see people that you know that are Spirit-filled and like, oh man, that's so beautiful. It's not because there's some magical thing where God comes around and says, well, they get more of the Spirit than you do. It's because they sow into the Spirit and so they reap of the Spirit. They live their lives to the Lord. They live their lives to honor God and then God bestows upon them spiritual blessings because they're sowing spiritual things. Don't pretend to yourself that you can continually sow sin and reap righteousness. And if you see that you are reaping destruction in your life, you have to ask yourself, what are you sowing? And you just have to, I mean, and and, and here's the thing, is that you can be a Christian, saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, go off track, begin to sow destruction, and, and the fruit of the destruction will come back into your life. It just will. This is a this is a principle that I've seen played out many, many times. A man whom I know, whom you do not know, so don't start making connections in your head that you don't need to have. You've never met this man, okay? 
He's a pastor, and he took over for his pastor. His pastor was a, a beautiful man. Great ministry, great, uh, great influence in the kingdom for decades and decades. Somehow, this pastor fell into disrepair, and so this young man moved to the state to take over this church because the pastor could no longer pastor based on his life that had begun to become filled with destruction. And this, this older pastor on his deathbed, on his deathbed, was asking to look at pornography before he died. And, and you think, like, how does, how does that happen? How, how does a man that walks with God and, and saw people saved and, and saw God move and people healed get to the end of his ministry and is begging for sin on his deathbed? Because he had so destruction. He didn't just magically think like, well, I want to try this for the first time. No, he had been sowing destruction. And at his end of his life, he started to reap what he had sown. I've seen people who are living in constant, unrepentant sin be sick. Physically sick. It's funny, you watch a person that doesn't know Jesus, that's filled with sin, and they look sickly. They get saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, and walk, and then they, they look healthier. They really do. And so the, the principle is the same on saints of God, is that sometimes we'll, we'll fall into unrepentant sin, and it'll literally make us physically sick. Why? Because your, your body can't operate in, in incongruity. You can't think one thing, speak one thing, and act a different way. Your body, the spirit doesn't like it. Spirit's like, this isn't you. This isn't. And so all this stuff happens inside of your body. You get body pains and sickness. And you're like, what's going on? I've seen people lose jobs because they've sown destruction. I've seen people die because they sowed destruction. I've seen people lose their marriages, live in anger, frustration, depression. I've seen people that just can't seem to get traction in their life because they keep sowing destruction. This is a basic principle of God. Do you, do you guys not remember elementary school that when you weren't nice, no one wanted to be your friend? That you got picked last? You notice that your friend, when you were in elementary school, people didn't invite you over because of the way that you had been acting? It, it, just, it just works that way. Because pe people in, intrinsically know, like, I don't want to be a part of what that is. I want to show you this in Romans chapter 2. There's a lot of scriptures. And people say, man, you use a lot of scriptures. Yeah, because I don't want you to have my thoughts. I want you to have God's thoughts. Okay? I don't want you, I, I, I don't want you walking out of church saying, who does Matt think he is? Take it to God and ask him, who do you think you are? See how that works for you. All right. I, on the other hand, am staking it all on the word of the Lord. Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore you... I think that's for you. You are inexcusable, O oh man. Whoever you are to judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. God actually judges people that do wrong, wrong things. And do you think this, O oh man, you who judge those practicing such things, meaning looking at people that are doing bad things, and then do the same, that you'll escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with the hardness of your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who, quote, will render to each one according to his deeds... 
eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. You cannot sow thorns and expect fruit. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And, and, and again, I always have to say this and remind this to you guys, is that I, I come up here and I preach these sermons, and I never for one minute am, am, am trying to preach to you something that I haven't experienced as a truth in my own life. Do you know how I know that when you sow destruction, you reap destruction? It's because I've sown destruction in my own life. I've made bad decisions. I've done bad things. I've had bad thoughts and I had bad actions. And then, and then you, you turn around and, and your life is in disarray. Your, 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 your mind is all jarbled and, and everything's wrong. And, and, and you just don't know what to do. You're just like, well, yeah, this is of my own doing, but, but what do I do with it now? Like, how, how do I get out of this place? How, how do I fix what was really of my own doing? Can, can, you know, I'm, I need a witness. Can somebody help me out here? You know, I talk about me, myself, and I'm sowing destruction and ruin in my own life. And you guys are like, you sad, sad man. <laughs> never done that. Maybe, maybe you've never experienced that. I just, I, I'm honest enough with myself to realize that most of the destruction in my own life has been of my own doing. No one drove into my house and picked me up. I got in the car myself and drove away. No one put it in my hand. I put it in my own hand. It was my own plans to destroy my, myself. Oftentimes people are unwilling to admit the contribution to their own destruction. Sometimes sin is so grievous that our actions affect others. And then they turn on us and they want to stone us like they wanted to stone David. And, and, and in this place, which I really think is the context of this sermon on strengthening yourself in the Lord, is that David is at that point. He's at this point where people have turned on him and, and, and they want to destroy him, but it's of his own doing. He led this. The people are upset because David has sown destruction and now they're reaping destruction. And David's got a choice. He's got a choice in this matter where he says, okay, I'm either going to attack these guys, I'm going to go attack these other guys that attacked us, or I can go to God and strengthen myself in the Lord. Yeah. I can strengthen myself in the Lord, or I can double down and make things worse than they are. Verse 6, now David was greatly distressed, obviously, for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people were grieved, every man for his own sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. Do you, do you realize, friend, that God wants you to be strong in Him? Yes. That God desires for you to have strength in Him? That, 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 that even when it's of your own doing and even when you've destroyed your life, God wants to receive you with open arms and have you find your strength in Him? Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 says, My brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. In this scripture it says that everyone else is distressed and fixed into stone David, but David makes the choice and strengthens himself in the Lord. But that's that the the the, the key for, phrase in there is strengthened himself. 
strengthened himself. He, he didn't go and, and find somebody else. He didn't go and, and, and seek out somebody else. He has been the author of his destruction. He now is in a position to be the author of his redemption. He has a choice. I, I, I can either continue down a path of destruction or right now I am going to strengthen myself in the Lord. Which is fantastic. Because sometimes no one else is around. No one else is on your side. No one else is coming to help you. You have to do it yourself. You have to strengthen yourself. No one else is going to do it for you. And, and it sounds great, of course. Eh, I'd love to strengthen myself. Now, stick with me, friend. I'm not talking about you putting faith in yourself or trusting yourself or strengthening yourself. Because it doesn't say, and David strengthened himself. It says he strengthened himself in the Lord. He strengthened himself in the Lord. He put himself into where God was and allowed God to fill him up. He allowed God to change his situation. He did not strengthen himself within his self. But how do we do that? <laughs> how do we do that, right? I mean, it's easy to read it and just say, well, David strengthened himself in the Lord. And we don't really get an explanation of it. It just says that that's what he did. Well, how do we go from that and then realize and say, well, how, how do we do that? How do we apply that to our own lives? Well, if, if we would look closer at the scriptures, we can see some hints on what led up to David strengthening himself in the Lord. See, the beginning of David strengthening himself in the Lord was him crying out to God over the destruction. It says that David and his men went and they wept. They wept. And, and the scripture is very descriptive. It says, Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. I, I, I for one, I, I, and you guys will catch me up here, man. I cry easy. I cry very easy. But, but, but privately, I've had times in my life where I've wept uncontrollably. Like, I'm, I'm not talking about a like, uh, you know, a little tear. I'm talking about from here. Like the moaning, screaming, convulsing, slobbery, like cry. Like the, the point where you cry so hard, like there's nothing coming out. You're... <laughs> Your mouth is moving, but nothing's coming out. I've cried so many tears that my eyes dried up. Yeah. Nobody knows what I'm talking about? Because yeah. yeah. I've experienced in my life. And so, so when, I, when I read this, I'm like, man, I, I know what they mean. Yes, yes. <sighs> I've wept to the point where I got no more power to weep. I've been there, man. Going on military deployments, losing relationships, dealing with death, the depravity of my own sin. Yeah. And maybe, maybe you don't know that kind of weeping. Maybe, maybe you don't. The, the empty cries that come from the bottom of your soul where tears don't even exist, where the crying doesn't produce a sound. A deep guttural cry from your soul. But here's what, here's what I hope from David is that I hope in this moment that these weren't just tears of frustration. I hope they weren't just tears of, man, my guys are going to stone me. I, I hope they weren't just tears of like, now I'm embarrassed because I got caught. I hope that they were deep, guttural, sorrowful. I am the author of my own destruction. God, I need you. I'm in a bad place type of crying. Yes. They wept. They wept until they had no more power to weep. 
2 Corinthians 7.10 says this. It says, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. And David is at that place. He's at an empty place. He's cried his last cry. He has sorrow for what he's done. This is why I believe that people that people have sorrow when they come to salvation always have more of a salvation experience than somebody that just ascribes to a higher level of thinking. You, you, you've got to have a, 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 a response to God that says, God, I, I'm actually aware of what I've done, not alligator tears of I got caught, but a sorrowful of like, I've wronged you, God. And you know this, when people come to you and they've wronged you and they're just like, hey man, I'm sorry, can we just shake on it? And you're like, you're not even sorrowful. And I'm not saying you have to cry to prove your sorrow, but it, it, it really, you can tell the difference with somebody who's sorrowful versus somebody who just wants forgiveness. Yeah. David's at that empty place where he's cried his last cry and has sorrow for what he's done. And that's the first principle I want you to know this morning about, about finding strength in the Lord is that you have to have godly sorrow. You have to have godly sorrow. If you don't have godly sorrow, if you haven't admitted that you've failed, you, that you can't admit that you've reaping what you've sown, you, you're, you're not going to experience the strength of the Lord because you're still holding on to your sin. You're still holding on to your past, to your, to your own things that you have done. <clears throat> this is the other part of it too, is that he's not holding on to his own strength. You cannot strengthen yourself in the Lord and simultaneously be strengthening yourself. It doesn't work that way. God God never looks down and says, come on, man, pick it up. Like, let's do something. He never says that. He never expects you to do it on his own. What he does expect is for you to bow the knee and go to him and say, God, I've, I've tried my plans. I tried my ways. I failed miserably and was the author of my own destruction. And now, God, I need your strength. And that's when God can finally do something. You're like, great, I've been waiting for this. You've emptied yourself and now I can pour into you because you're no longer fighting me by trying to hold on to your own strength. Let go of your own plans. Say to the Lord, I've tried my way and I've failed. You cannot strengthen yourself in the Lord if you're still holding on to your own plans and purposes and living in constant unrepentant sin. It doesn't work. Amen. What does it mean to you, friend? Sometimes you have got to strengthen yourself in the Lord. This might come as a surprise, but there's not an army of individuals that is uh, sitting somewhere uh, planning your success. It's on you. Like you, 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 same thing with sin is that no, no one else put it in your hands. You picked it up. Same thing with the things of God. You, you have got to put yourself in the position to grow. You've got to put yourself before the Lord and say, God, I, I'm going to strengthen myself in you because no one else is going to do it for me. Even though it may be because of your own doing or even if it's not, you will find yourself alone and no one else is coming to help you. You have got to strengthen yourself in the Lord. Psalm 31, 24, be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Now, it's, it's interesting. I, I hope that you guys have been reading the Psalms a lot. The Psalms are is a great book, man. And, and really, the Psalms, for those of you that have been here for a while listening to these uh, sermons, 
the Psalms should really give you, you should have such a new appreciation of the Psalms after seeing more about the life of David. Because when you see what was going on in his life, and then you see the kind of Psalms that he wrote, you have a better understanding of where he's coming from. So we can't really look into the scripture and look and see what David did specifically in this moment to strengthen himself in the Lord. But what we can do is we can go to the Psalms and assume based on his life what he probably did. So in Psalm 32, excuse me, a Psalm of David, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old, though my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time that you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. He changes the voice there, and God begins to speak to him. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is a road map to how to strengthen yourself in the Lord. It really is. It's a road map. The first part of it is in verse 3. You have to talk to God. You have to talk to God. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. It's amazing what happens in your spiritual life when you talk to God. And I know this is like cosmically uh, surprising to you, but uh, you can actually talk to God. You can talk about what you think and what you want and what you feel. And as you're doing that, David also says to acknowledge your sin. No, you don't need to acknowledge your sin to anybody else except God. Verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sins. That's what it says. Do do you see in verse 3, it says, When I kept silent, my bones grew old. Verse 4, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. God is doing everything that he can to try to get you to bow the knee. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. That's the effects of sin. So what does he do? I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. This might come as a surprise, friend. God already knows what you did. He knows exactly where you're at. He is not surprised. When you verbalize it to him, though something happens. He, he, when you verbalize it to him, he doesn't go, What? You've done, you've done what? He already knows. God knows your heart. He knows your mind. He knows your actions. He's everywhere. He knows it all. But, but there's a power when you verbalize it to him and, and ask for forgiveness. And it's very easy to say, Lord, I've done this. Enter the blank. Whatever that is. Lord, please forgive me. He who confesses his sin will receive forgiveness. It just, it happens, right? He is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. 1 John. You got to pray. Verse 6, for this cause everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time that you may be found. It's very interesting. When you're in pain and destruction and you pray, for some reason God always shows up. 
in those moments. He always does. But you got to pray. And people say, what do I pray about? Pray about everything. Pray about what you did and pray about what you want to do. Pray about what's going on in your life. Just talk to God. He's a great friend. He wants to listen to everything that you have going on in your life. And then David, which is very clear all throughout the Psalms, is become a worshiper. Verse 7, you are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. And people say, well, you know, I don't have a very good singing voice. God does not care what your voice sounds like, man. Dude, just make up songs. Just like, Lord, I love you. And I'm glad that you're on my team. And I'm not going to be mean because I love the Lord who keeps me lean. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't care. God God doesn't care what you sound like. It's like if you had a child that came up to you and said, Oh, I want to sing you a song. You'd be like, Stop, please. Quit embarrassing yourself. No, like, I don't want to hear that. Like, your tone's off. The words don't. They don't work. The theology of your song is a little questionable, you know? No, just sing songs to the Lord, man. Sing to his name. It's funny, Crystal always says to me, well, I I always try to sing songs from the radio, and she always says, those aren't the words. And I always say, I'm not singing that song. I'm I'm making up my own song. It's not even the song I'm singing. Sing my own song to the Lord. The also thing is, You've got to get God's Word inside of you. You've got to get, get God's Word inside of you. Uh, verse 8, uh, the, the voice comes from the Lord to David. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. You cannot uh, figure out what God wants to do with you if you don't have God's Word inside of you. If you want to strengthen yourself in the Lord, you have got to get God's Word in you. You have to worship. You have to pray. You have to acknowledge sin. You have to talk to God. And then you have to trust in Him. Trust in Him. Verse 10, Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Because here's the thing, is that once you've realized your destruction, once you've asked for forgiveness, once you've strengthened yourself in the Lord, there still might be some casualties that are part of this uh, destruction, and you, you want to fix it, you want to make it be different, or whatever, and you have to say, you know, man, I talked to God about it, and now I'm just going to trust Him. I'm just going to trust Him. I'm going to trust that God knows what He's doing. I know that God's going to direct it. He's never failed me yet, and so He's not going to fail me now. I know that He's going to do it. And here's the the third and final part of it is this. Is that once you've been strengthened, it's not for you to go and live life to yourself. Once you've gone and gotten strengthened, and and, and then you learn to depend on God. This is one of the biggest problems of the American church. Is that people will live their lives all however they want. They'll ruin their lives, and then they show up, typically at church, and they want to get get a shot of the Jesus juice, and, and, and have God fix all their problems, and the Lord will fix their problems, and then they disappear. It's like, well, I got what I needed, man. I needed, a, I needed this relationship fixed. I needed this job fixed. I needed my health fixed. I needed, you know, I needed forgiveness for my sins. But I only needed it for that day to feel better so I can go out there and live life to myself. God does not set you free so you can go live life to yourself. God sets you free so you can learn that God is real, that He loves you. He wants a continual dependence relationship with you where you live your life 24-7, 365, 100% dependent on God in 
and everything. Yeah. See, after this story, we, we hope that David didn't go back to his old ways. It, it does say that he went directly after he strengthened himself in the Lord, which again is an indication of what God did in that moment. Verse 7, Then David said to Abathar the priest, Amalek's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? Immediately following, uh, strengthening himself in the Lord, David didn't go and live life to himself. He went directly to the ephod, which was the way in which Israel heard from God, and said, You know what? I'm not going to do anything now without God's direction. I did it my own way. It didn't work. The new David, direction from God. The new David, I want God to speak directly to my situation. When he had gone from sorrow to emptying to finding strength, he continued by depending on God. See, what David figured out, which you need to figure out, is being filled, redeemed, and delivered by God is not for you to go live life for yourself. That's not what he intended at all. You, you have to live your life dependent on God. Now, I'm going to show you guys another psalm, and then uh, we'll, we'll get out of here in just a moment. I know. You, I know. Psalm 27. Psalm 27. This, this was the heart of David, okay? Hear the heart of David. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came up against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war may rise against me, and this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion and in the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me he shall set me high upon a rock and now my head shall be lifted up above mine enemies all around me therefore I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle I will sing yes I will sing praises to the Lord hear O Lord when I cry with my voice have mercy also upon me and answer me when you said seek my face my heart said to you your face Lord I will seek Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as as breathe out violence. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Amen? Dependence on God is continual seeking of God. Dependence on God is continual temple attendance. One thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold His beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. He shall hide me in His pavilion. Dependence on God is a continual life of sacrifices. 
You, you, it's constantly saying, you know what, Lord, you have done so much for me. How can I not sacrifice for you? Yeah. Dependence on God is a continual life of worship and praise. Dependence on God is continual uh, dependence on Him all the time. Dependence on God is continual learning of the statutes of the Lord. Amen. Dependence on God is continual asking for protection. Dependence on God is continual belief. Dependence on God is continual waiting on Him. Amen. The way to stay dependent on the Lord is to stay dependent on the Lord. Amen. Don't ever go out on your own. Don't, don't ever try to handle stuff on your own. It doesn't work that way. Christianity is not a destination. It doesn't work that way. You don't get to say, I ate a salad 10 years ago. I'm healthy. <laughs> You don't ever work out and say, yeah, I worked out back in the 90s. I'm good. It doesn't work that way. You, you, and your spiritual walk doesn't work that way either. You will never get to a point of completion. It's a constant living independent on Him. I, I tell you, I've, I've gotten into the um, uh, repetition of being at Wednesday night church. If I'm not at church on Wednesday nights, I feel empty and lost. Because I'm like, man, I need some more word. I need some more worship. I need to be around God's people. Live in total, complete dependence on God and you will strengthen yourself in Him. Watch what you sow because you will reap it also. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? First service this morning, we had uh, two people that gave their lives to Jesus for the very first time. Did one rededication. And we will end this service in the same way, asking if there's anybody here this morning who's not a Christian that would like to become one this morning. You've held on to your own life. You've had your own plans. And now the Lord's calling you and saying, would you leave that life? I want to forgive you from those things. And I want to, I want, I want to forgive you and I want you to live for me. And if you've never made that decision, if you've, if you've fought God and said, you want, I want to live my own life my own way, God is resisting you. He's resisting your pride and today he's asking you to bow the knee and say, I'm done. If you've never given your life to Jesus and you want to, not, not this ain't superstition. This isn't, I want to be forgiven and go live my life. I'm talking about being forgiven and begin to live for Jesus. If you've never made that decision before and you need to do it for the very first time, I want you to raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I want to live for Jesus. Is there anybody that needs to do that for the first time? Hand held high. Don't let this moment pass. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. If you're here this morning, you've been far from God and you've been waiting for a moment to come back to Him. And I always say, man, not a bad weekend, not a bad month. I'm talking about years. You've been gone. You've been lost. You don't know how to come back to the Lord. He's here this morning. His arms are open wide. He wants to receive you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to uh, receive you once again. You've been running away from God, but he's been right behind you. Just turn around. He's right there. If you need to make that declaration this morning, I want you to raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I need to come back to Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I pray the Lord spoke to you through this message this morning. Maybe you just need to strengthen yourself in the Lord this morning. You need to Watch what you're sowing. Learn to depend on Him a little bit more. Just confess that to Him. <clears throat> He's here. He can hear it. God, I pray for us collectively as a church. <sighs> Father, help us to sow good things 
that honor you. Keep us from unrighteousness, Lord. Convict us in those moments when we think and act in ways that are contrary to your word and your spirit. Father, we strengthen ourselves in you today and you alone. Our trust is in you. Our trust is in you alone, God. We worship you. We praise you. We ask for your instruction. And God, we pray as your people that we would be totally and completely dependent on you in everything. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.